1: Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, the legendary Jerry Baker of the Wall Street Journal.
0: For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics,
1: It is a great pleasure to welcome Jerry Baker to the show. I've long been a fan of his column at the Wall Street Journal. You may see him on Fox Business, any number of places. But you are so fascinating to me in that you come from this British background, but you seem to have your thumb so beautifully placed on the pulse of American politics and culture. How do you do that?
2: Well, thank you for saying that, Michelle, and thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, despite my accents, um, I well. First of all, I've, been, I've, I've loved America since uh, very, very early years. Even when I was labouring away in uh, in England as a, as a young uh, man, uh, as a student, and then early in my years in my years of employment, I've always admired America. I've travelled here many, many times, uh, and then I, I mean, I did start. Uh, I, I, I actually was first posted to America thirty years ago when I worked for the BBC. And then I came back again. I uh, worked for the Financial Times and I've actually been in the U.S. since 1996 p- permanently. And I, I suppose if I have if I can claim any kind of cultural uh, assimilation, I, I ascribe it primarily to my daughters. I have five daughters. Wow. Uh, and Yes, exactly. Four of them were actually born here. One was born in Japan. Uh, the, uh, but the rest were born here in the US. They're all Americans. They're all, you know, love America. They are very committed uh, to this country and they keep me completely uh, informed and on my toes about everything about America that I don't understand. But no, look, the simple answer is I've just greatly admired this country for a very, you know, from my earliest years. Uh, I've lived here for half my life. Um, I think it's uh, it remains this uh, extraordinary, despite its challenges, which I'm sure we'll talk about, yeah. it remains this extraordinary beacon for freedom for people around the world. And uh, it, it is the source of inspiration for, for, for so many people.
1: And that can't be overstated. And it seems to be forgotten by so many. I'm curious about your five daughters. First, just the age range and why you think they are proudly American when a lot of young people are not these days.
2: Well, so they range from twenty-seven to seventeen. Um, they look; I, they're not um, they're not unaware of the problems in this country. And they you know, they in fact they. And by the way, they all. I should also say they have a range of views. That's one of the beauties of uh, having so many children. Is you get exposed <laughs> to so many interesting, different views uh, in the family. Uh, and some of them are pretty radical, I should say, uh, on the left, and some of them are less so. So we uh, have interesting conversations at dinner. But I think I think they all understand. Um, again, just what an extraordinary um, blessing it is to be born uh, an American. Um, the opportunities that they have uh, the freedoms that they have um, the, um, the, the, the the life and the quality of the quality of life here um, is just second to none so again, while uh, to be fair to them, some of them will be strongly critical of a lot of things about this country, and indeed uh, we have a lot of disagreements uh, within them. I do think they all understand the blessings of this country and and why they are you know compared to by the way i'm i should say i always say this to my friends who kind of question this you know there are so many people in the world who would if they're given the opportunity would come and live in america Uh, so for people here to who complain about it what to say what a terrible country it is look one of the beauties of America is you can do that. And, you, yeah. you know, you're allowed to do that. And you don't get taken off to prison. But they should remember, I think, a little more that there are many, many more people who, given an opportunity, would 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 come and live in this country if they had the chance to. In,
1: in a minute, they would. You know, I remember covering the Olympic Games, the Summer Olympics in 2012 in London, and how we had this, uh, the appreciation for the country, for even the Queen, for everything. They did such a good job in London, hosting those Olympic games. And we, as the Americans and the American media over there covering just loved it, loved it. That isn't to say that, you know, we would have denounced our citizenship and moved to London, but I think there's this natural tendency for people to see the best in another country when they're there under Mm. these really bright lights and beautiful circumstances. And for, you know, forget that every country has its own issues, but I wonder what it was for you as a young man that made you enamored with the United States, and if it's lived up to what you hoped it would be?
2: Yeah, it very much has. I mean, I, first of all, I should also say I um, I remain a proud uh, Englishman, too. It's one of the benefits that you can, um, you can have a foot in both camps, as it were. And I'm very, I think England is a magnificent country. And I think what you said about London in 2012 continues to be true today. And I should say England's a magnificent country, Britain is a magnificent country, because you know, it is, after all, very much, it's been an ally of the United States after that little early skirmish that we had two hundred <laughs> odd years ago. It's been a, and and then 1812 uh, repeated it. But for the last two hundred years, it's been a. The two countries have been the primary defenders of freedom around the world for two centuries. I mean, that's that. That's it's as simple as that. Anglo-Saxon civilization, the ideals that uh, Britain and many remember, many of the ideals that are established in the American. System in the American law, and indeed even in the American Constitution, and in the Declaration of Independence itself, by the way, and the Constitution were ones that were handed down by the English. Let's not forget from Magna Carta through the Glorious Revolution uh, and everything else that happened. Many and the common law of the United States still some so much of it, with all its protection of the rule of law and freedom uh, that is implicit in that. So much of that comes from England. So so there are many many great things uh, that England has bequeathed that Britain has bequeathed to the United States. But in answer to your question. Look, I think again the the opportunities here in this country. I remember you should gr- remember that I grew up in Britain in the nineteen seventies. I was a teenager in the nineteen seventies, which was a pretty grim time uh, in many parts of the world, by the way, including I know in parts of the United States. But it was particularly grim in England in the 1970s. And it did feel as though uh, England was, uh, Britain was in a kind of long-term decline. The economy was in poor shape. We had terrible crime. We had a kind of deteriorating, collapsing kind of public services. We had a political system where the trade unions kind of completely controlled the country and dominated the country. And I, you know, I grew up, that was a very formative, I think it's Napoleon who said that you know, show me what the show me what the world was like when a when a man was twenty, and I will tell you what that person became. And I think, in my case, that is very true. In the early nineteen eighties, when I was twenty, you know, Britain was just emerging from that period. So, so I think we many of us looked then around, looked to America. I, I should, the one very, I'll give you one very strong personal experience. Yeah. I think why I became particularly so enamoured of America. I travelled in strangely enough in the space of a year in the mid nineteen eighties. I traveled to the U S for the first time. and, And in the same year, I traveled to the Soviet union for the first and only time. Um, and I remember being struck then by the contrast between the two. The Soviet Union, I went to Moscow and what was then Leningrad, and just being struck by the misery that, that the Soviet Union seemed to stand for, that communism seemed to stand for, that people were unhappy. These cities were terrible and grey and, and depressed and um, unfree and poor and miserable. And then literally, I mean, at the, around about the same time, very shortly afterwards, I went to the United States for the first time, and here was this incredibly vibrant, hmm. energetic Diverse, um, you know, positive, uh, opportunistic spirit about the place, and it really made an impression on me. That and it, it, it really, it, it was part of my political formation, Michelle. In that, you know, again, we all grew, grew up. especially growing up in England during the Cold War, you know, we were obviously always on the side of the United States, but we were always also thinking, well, you know, maybe there is an alternative. What is the alternative? You know, I saw the alternative. I got actually to see the alternative firsthand, and frankly, it sucked. And the United States, which I saw also for the first time, was so obviously, so obviously such a superior society and such a superior system that it really made an incredibly powerful and lasting impression on me.
3: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: I wonder how you're looking at the United States right now, given what it appeared to be in the the 80s, which was a, a very, you know, I was a kid. I was in high school and college then. It was a great place to be. It was a great time in this country. And it, of course, always depends on what part of the country you live in. But what you described of of London and England and the UK in the 70s feels very much like what we're going through right now. High crime, the economy's a disaster. It looks like it's going to be declining for the foreseeable future. How does what you've experienced in your past shape what you view for the future of of America now?
2: It does feel very much like the nineteen seventies. Nineteen seventies actually in the U.S. as well as in
1: the yeah, U.K. It's yeah, yeah.
2: High inflation, possibility of stagflation, which is this you know awful combination of rising unemployment and uh, an inflation, crime, uh, a sense of America losing its way in the world. You know, you had Vietnam in the nineteen seventies, and then obviously the Iranian hostages in nineteen seventy nine. We've got Afghanistan and what's happening in Afghanistan and to some extent what's happening in Europe and Ukraine today. There are many, many similar presidents, I'm afraid to say. We don't need to get too political about this. But, you know, we had Jimmy Carter in the 1970s and Joe Biden today, similar sort of Democrats who just don't give an impression of being able to get a grip on the situation. Look, I think it is. and There are many, many challenges the country faces right now, economic challenges, social challenges that we've talked about, like crime and uncontrolled immigration. I do. I think there is also the other big similarity, I think, and this in some ways is what gives me hope, because America came out of that after the 1970s and, and emerged, you know, thanks in large parts to Ronald Reagan and what came yeah. afterwards as a much stronger country. But I think what gives me hope is that even in the 1970s, you had this um, this kind of strong voice of... You know, the sort of cultural left, a lot of the media, the progressives, academia, that were very hostile to sort of the idea of America back then you know, it was, they actually thought maybe the Soviet Union, maybe communism was a better alternative. Maybe uh, the United States, they, they criticized it. Very obviously, had a lot to criticize about what the United States has done, whether it was on civil rights uh, or the Vietnam War. And as you remember, you probably are a bit too young to remember it, but that period of the 1970s was a period of real internal division, real mm-hmm. soul searching in America about the meaning of the country and the fundamental virtue or otherwise of the country. And the country was tearing itself apart, you know, from 1968 onwards. Um, 1968 was an absolutely anus horribilis in American history. Mm-hmm. Political violence, assassinations, terrorism, um, thousands, tens of thousands and thousands of Americans dying in Vietnam. It was a really, you know, in many worse than, than the situation we find ourselves in today for in terms of domestic strife because, um, as I say, it was so severe. But America did come through that. And I think, you know, it came through it for a number of reasons, part, partly luck. And America, one of the great things about America is America's had good fortune uh in its time partly through great leadership uh which we had i think with ronald reagan uh, after 1980 um and partly through the circumstances i mean the the fact is you know the, fortunately the the that was a period when the soviet union was starting to starting to realize we started to see the weakness of the soviet union and the strength the relative strength of the united states i think we need that combination now michelle bit of luck good leadership and an understanding and a, a, an understanding of the real virtues of america a deeper understanding and i do think i think i think i think the thing that most worries me though if you um you know if you ask me what I'm most concerned about i think is is education in this country yes. i think that um you know i think that we are we are be our educational leadership uh is dominated by people who have this extremely left wing progressive attitude towards um, the world towards America this idea that America is a fundamentally evil society it's terrible it's fundamentally unjust uh, it's a country built on oppression and of course no one is going to begin to suggest that America you know the, the, the sin of slavery was enormous and it has taken a very very long time for the United States to expiate that sin but it's um but the idea that somehow that um, somehow invalidates the American ideal as expressed by the founding fathers and then as represented by so many Americans who've been so brave and so courageous over the last 200 years, I think is just wrong. But unfortunately, we do have this powerful cabal of educators, of media people, of people in the academy who are promoting that view and are promoting this idea. And and by the way, it's very divisive, Michelle, too. As you know very well, it's this very divisive idea you know, Martin Luther King's great genius and insight and brilliance was that he said all, you know, Americans are equal, that all Americans need to be treated equally. We need to, we, yes. you know, the, justice should be blind. We, you know, the, we, 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 and that was the sin of racism and the sin of slavery and the sin of um, people who you know, did absolutely oppressed minorities. Right. But now right. we have this bizarre situation where in place of that, the sort of the dominant kind of ideology in so many of our, companies and organizations is that actually no no we are so sinful and we are all still um, we are all still burdened by this sin of white oppression that we've actually got to divide us we've got to divide people and these extraordinary things where you know the universities are having different um you know spaces for minorities or different yeah. graduations for minorities this yes. is a really dangerous phenomenon I, it worries me a lot that the and i think it's particularly pronounced in education i think it's a challenge that really has got to be dealt with if otherwise the divisions in this country are going to get worse
1: no question and it's not just at the collegiate level the university level it's going on in my my kids right. middle school lower school and high school here in right. minnesota uh I'm going to use that as a jumping off point for our next little discussion here about the recent resignation of Boris Johnson and just what comes next, because you wrote a very interesting column about this. More with Jerry Baker right after this. I am not ashamed to admit that I'm a huge Ronald Reagan fan. I got to sit on a stage with him for the bicentennial of the U.S. Constitution. It was a remarkable experience. And so I love his statement that all great change in America starts at the dinner table. But the thing is, you can't always get everyone to the dinner table the way we used to, but you can try with good ranchers because what they're going to deliver is a unique experience with chicken, seafood, beef delivered straight to your door that is grown, harvested, everything right here in the United States. I was amazed to find out that about 85% of beef in the United States is imported. I bet you didn't know that. But Good Ranchers delivers a 100% American meat experience to your door. They guarantee that your meat is born, raised, harvested here in the United States so that you know where it comes from and you know who you are supporting. You're already buying meat, So why not buy it in a way that strengthens the American farm and ranchers? Supporting American causes can feel great and it can taste great with good ranchers. So here's the deal. If you order from them, use my code, which is Tafoya, T-A-F-O-Y-A, to get $30 off your order, plus get free express shipping. You can make gatherings at the table common again with good ranchers. Take advantage of this offer before it is gone. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Tafoya to bring people back to the table, creating change in America and seriously having delicious meals from Good Ranchers. Back with Jerry Baker, who wrote Britain's conservatives rise above identity politics. I read this column a couple of times and I find it so interesting. First of all, what happened to old Boris over there?
2: Well, um, Boris, um, the simple answer is um, the Conservative Party, the British Conservative Party, is the most ruthless political party in the history of political parties. It's um, when they decide, when the members of parliament in particular, of the Conservative Party, decide that their leader is is getting them into difficulties – and may not win the next election, they get rid of him or her. They did it with Margaret Thatcher in 1990 after she yeah. had won three elections. She, Margaret Thatcher was never defeated uh, at the polls at the, at the general election. She was, de- she was pulled down by her own party. They did it with uh, two other, uh, uh, Theresa May a few years ago, and now they've done it with Boris Johnson. Look, I'm not going to, we don't need to get into the detail, the rather seamy details of some of the scandals yeah. that there have been, but there, is, there has been a general sense reflected in the polling that the Conservatives are incompetent, scandalous, um, untrustworthy, and have lost their way under Boris Johnson. And I think the Conservative Party in Parliament decided you know, it was time to make a change. And so they basically, that's essentially what they did. It is a remarkable state of affairs. Only two and a half years ago, Boris Johnson won the Conservatives the largest majority in uh, the party's history since, Mar- since Margaret Thatcher was prime minister 30 35 years ago, um, he managed to get something managed to get Brexit done with Britain leaving the European Union after right. this had dragged on and on and on. An extraordinary achievement, which most conserv- almost all conservatives wanted to get done. So he has this extraordinary record. A successful record in terms of winning votes, pop, winning the popular vote, both a referendum and in a uh, and, and in an, elec- an election. But again, the s- sort of scandals, the challenges, the problems the country's had, the economy has not been very, in very good shape for the last couple of years, has dragged down his approval ratings and the Conservative Party decided to get rid of him.
1: They just saw the writing on the wall, the approval ratings down, There's, he's not going to get reelected, we don't want to fall with him, and, he, and, he, and this mass exodus of many of his... Uh, his- Do you call them secretaries over there?
2: Cabinet, cabinet ministers, cabinet members. Ministries. ministers. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they are secretaries actually, but but yeah, they call them, for a collective is cabinet ministers probably, yeah.
1: Okay, okay. So now you've got this very interesting uh, group of very diverse candidates. What are you Mm. seeing? What does this mean?
2: It is absolutely fascinating. Look, I mean, on one level it shouldn't matter. I mean, we, you know, those of us who, we were just talking about this before the break, Michelle, who think that, you know, we should be colorblind in the way we yes. approach things. We shouldn't be obsessed with race and gender and gen- sexuality and all of that. So it shouldn't really matter. But, as it, but it is, that said, it doesn't matter. The most important things are what the candidates are debating and what, 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 they, what policies they want to pursue. But it is nonetheless striking that you have this Conservative Party, which is the right-of-centre party in Britain, you know, a party, by the way, which is usually caricatured in the media, in Britain and indeed in this country as kind of right wing and racist and bigoted and their voters are all right wing and racist and anti-immigration and bigoted you know just read the most of the coverage in the New York Times of Britain's conservatives and that's what it sounds like well hold on a minute they've got a they've got a field of candidates we're going to see later this are recording this on Tuesday we're going to find out later on Tuesday who has made it through to the first round of voting but they consist of the front runner right now is a uh, uh, is a is a man whose parents were who were originally from India, but who came for so. Were, uh, his p- grandparents immigrated to East Africa, um, and he's called Rishi Sunak. Uh, the one of the another strong contender is a woman called Kim Badenoch, whose family also emigrated from Nigeria. She's a black woman. Um, the, another leading candidate is Nadim Zahawi, who is a refugee from Iraq, uh, um, a Muslim. Um, another one. Is, and there are several other women involved. Penny Mordant a woman who left school, who uh, lost her mother when she was very, very young and had to work her way through through school and, and able to get into college. Um, Another one is uh, Sue Braverman, who is the attorney general, who is a Buddhist, whose family originally also came uh, from overseas. So you have this extraordinarily diverse crowd of black, brown, Asian uh, women and a couple of there are a couple of white men there, too. I should say the white men are in very much in the minority, but they're there. And I just think this is a. I mean, I think it's a great. I say it doesn't matter. In, on one level, it just doesn't matter. What matters right. is what they're proposing. But on another level, it is a remarkable thing to see and an impressive thing to see that the Conservative Party, you know, again, which is so often accused of being uh, racist, is a party that's very likely to be led, very likely to be led um, by someone from an ethnic minority. And I think what that represents is that, the a. What does that tell you? The party is not is clearly not racist. B, it, it, the party doesn't think the British people are racist and bigoted because they think that person is going to win them the next general election, and they very well and they very well might. But C, above all else, it just says that you know it, it, it directly challenges this left-wing yeah. supposition yes. that if you're black or brown, this applies in this country too, in, no li- in, in to the same degree. If you're black or brown or a woman, you somehow got to support the the Democrats or the right. Labour Party the, right. the, the, in Britain, because, and, which is an incredibly arrogant, by the way, and patronising thing to say, which is what the left quite often so are, are, quite often are too, and of course, it, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, the immigrants uh, in, in Britain um, support tough immigration controls. The, the candidates so, you know, the, who are running um, for the Conservative leadership the most aggressively tough on immigration are some of the, a couple of the ethnic minority candidates. Again, that has its own reflection here in the United States. Look at yes. what Hispanic voters, Hispanic voters are starting to vote for Republicans in great numbers. It's always been, you know, the, the Democrats arrogant assumption that they will always vote for them and Democrats favor these very loose immigration policies. That just doesn't follow. People who come here to this country legally have, have gone through a process and they want legal immigration. They don't want people just to be allowed to the country willy nilly. So on all of these issues, it, what, it, this idea that because you a particular, your skin is a particular color, you're somehow required to vote in a particular way. You know, the, the, the conservative party is in the process of blowing that up, and I think you know, in the in the United States, the Republican Party uh, has got a good opportunity to achieve the same.
1: Well, they certainly did with Myra Flores down in Texas. I mean, she's exactly, a exactly. perfect yeah. example of what you're talking yeah. about. Before we let you go, one quick break, and then we're going to talk about another piece that you wrote about uh, people in black robes who are now just the enemy of of the world. More with Jerry Baker after this. You know, folks, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted. But gold, did you know gold has been on the rise? Gas prices are insane. The stock market is all over the place. Inflation is worse than it was last year. I mean, it's about the worst in 40 years And we've got this war between Russia and Ukraine that we really hope comes to an end in some positive way soon. The markets don't like this kind of instability, but the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection because gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when it comes to investing in gold and silver. And you need investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there is still time. Because remember 2008? Now, those who invested in gold back in 2008 saw huge gains. Others simply lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all your options for investing in gold and silver. You might as well call them, ask them your questions. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Back with Jerry Baker, the Wall Street Journal. You also recently wrote a piece about the Supreme Court, and you you inject your writing with such such great humor that I really really appreciate. Uh, but basically, you said, "Oh my goodness, the the people in black robes are they're they're destroying the world, you know, because of of their recent decisions." I, I loved that that humorous take on it. That it's almost a war against these people, and and it. It boggles my mind that the average person doesn't seem to understand what these Supreme Court decisions really mean. We can start with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which gave the states back to the power. And then you've got Nancy Pelosi screaming, they want a national ban on abortion. Mm. What, What, again, is this just come back to the simple nugget of uneducated people? I think there's an element
2: of that, yeah, thank you. And I do in that column I I I, I just quoted a series of headlines from so many media organizations yeah. where which said the Supreme Court declares war on X. The Supreme Court, if you if you read the coverage of the Supreme Court's decisions over the last couple of weeks, you'd find that the Supreme Court had declared war on women. It had declared war on America. It had declared war on the climate. It had declared war on governing. I mean, it was far apart from anything, as I said, you know, somebody needs to, some editor needs to impose a little bit of uh, a little bit of creative um, <laughs> uh, discipline there because everybody that's all they could think of to describe this was somehow the Supreme Court declaring war and everything. It was, yeah. What I tried to the point I tried to make in that column is. Michelle, Was that, you know, this is? I think I think it is partly. You're right. It is partly ignorance. And I've had so many conversations with people in this country and elsewhere that, after the Dobbs decision on Roe v. and which which overturned Roe v. Wade, I've had people saying, "Oh my God, the Supreme Court has banned abortion." Um, you know, I'm not going. You know, women are not going to get abortion. I, you have to patiently explain. No, no, no. That's not what it's done. It has simply interpreted the, the Constitution in the way. Look, you know this, Michelle, very well. A lot of even very progressive. Um, Liberals, scholar, law, uh, legal scholars, yes. um, realized that Roe v. Wade was a very curiously decided. Um, very curiously arrived at decision. Even, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, the, the, the icon of the left of the of the left's jurisprudence, famously said uh, not long after her appointment to the Supreme Court that, the, that, that Roe v. Wade. Was was um, was very dubiously decided yes. um, because it found all kinds of things in the constitution that simply weren't in the constitution. <laughs> You're right. So, and I, I think again, the point I was making in that column, and this is what worries me, is. The larger point is that progressives have basically recruited the Supreme Court to their cause over the last fifty years. They've been successful uh, by appointments, both by, by, I should say, by both Republican and Democratic presidents. Um, you know, notably by Republican presidents. Perhaps surprisingly, until Donald Trump came along, they've recruited justices to the court who've made the court essentially part of the. In effect, I'm exaggerating here, but I'll, I will anyway. Part of the legislative branch that actually yeah. has made law. On behalf of the kind of progressive consensus, whether it is on, you know, we've gone back and forth on guns, but on abortion, on um, some of these other issues, on some of these other important social issues, uh, on things like environmental protection, on the role of the executive vis-à-vis uh, the the legislature, the power the power given to the executive, the 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 the, the court has been. On that side of the argument for so long. What's happened with this slew of decisions we've had at the end of the last Supreme Court term is the court hasn't said, no, 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 now we're now on the side of the, you know, the Conservatives in this side. We're now taking the Republican side or the Conservative side and all these things. The court has just said, actually, that's not what the Constitution is for. The Constitution is not to be recruited. Um, you know, bogusly on one side of the argument or the other. Those arguments are to be decided by the voters and by the legislators, whether it's abortion, if you you know if, um, I live in new york michelle i, think, I i'm pretty confident that under the post roe v post Dobbs decision that we have, New York is going to not only you know keep the right to an abortion it 's probably going to make it even easier for women to get abortion that's right. you know i yeah. don 't like that i don 't agree with that, but that is the voters of New York will decide it. the voters of t- Tennessee or Mississippi may decide something else, but that 's a political decision it should be it should be a legislative decision on whether or not um the uh, we we should have very very strong um, environmental regulations, whether or not, you know, we want to really change the direction of energy policy in this country to be um, a, a aggressively anti-fossil fuels and become very much, you know, and, and, and impose all these kind of environmental regulations. You can have that argument. You can be on one side of that argument or the other. But that's an argument for politicians to have. It's an argument. It's a decision that the legislature should make. And that's what right. the Supreme Court did. The Supreme Court didn't say, you know, you can't, no, women can't have an abortion. No, uh, you can't uh, impose environmental regulations. It simply said, these, we, we, it simply replaced decisions, the the, the decisions that need to be made to govern this country where they should be. And those decisions should be in the hands of elected politicians on issues like this. Um, Now, on issues like guns, it's different because there is such a thing called the Second Amendment, which does protect the right to bear arms. And so politicians don't have the right to take that away. But let's stick to what the Constitution says that worked, after all, extraordinarily well for 200 plus years. Stick to what the Constitution says, Stick to the separation of powers. Make sure that people decide. And by the way, Michelle, in the end, not only is that right, that will actually work out better for the country. I do really believe that one of the reasons we've had so much division in this country over abortion for fifty years is because Roe v. Wade took that decision out of the hands of politicians. Every other country in the world, every other major country in the world, that decision was made by legislatures. You talk about England, where I come from, 1967, the houses, the House of Commons and the House House of Lords, the Parliament passed by an overwhelming majority and a law that legalized abortions. It was not made by unelected judges and that decision has largely been settled there's been no real challenge to that decision in Britain over the last 50 years whereas here because that decision was taken out of the hands of the voters and of the people and and, and imposed on them by judges it's become extraordinarily controversial and contentious thing so I think it's not only right not only in line with what the constitution provides for it's also going to be politically better and it's going to create a more stable and less kind of divisive environment than
1: the one that we've had for so long. Uh, if only that would hurry up and get here, because <laughs> right now it feels like it's just, you know, dropped a a big right. axe right in the middle of the country and divided us again. But, uh, but I, for some reason I can't explain, I remain optimistic, and maybe it's because of writers like you that okay. write so reasonably and... Logically and with great humor and love of the language, and I appreciate you so much. I could talk to you for hours, but I can't. So, let me just,
2: I, I just conclude. I'll just say well, thank you for all of that. It's a very one quick conclusion. I always like to say. Uh, I like to quote about America, Winston Churchill, who was a great uh, lover of America, great British prime minister. He loved America. He came from America. He was half American himself, of course. Um, But he always used to say about America that uh, the thing about America is it can always be relied upon to do the right thing, but only after it's exhausted every other alternative. (laughs) I I kind of think we're doing we're going through that process right now, but we'll get there in the end.
1: I hope you're right. I'm, I'm just going to believe it. Uh, a big Winston Churchill fan too. here too. And, and uh, on a side note, those who think that Churchill's statue should be torn down because he oh. was racist should read a little bit more. I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it kindly at that. All right. Absolutely. Jerry Baker sure. of the Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Be brave and do some good. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days. I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary, and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren, who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about, how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And you know, food shelves are getting the lines are longer. It this is really, it's not the America I grew up in, and it's it's worrying a lot of people. So, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them?
3: You, you know, it's it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics, really, where. Diversification has always been key, and and we hear it. We've been told it ad nauseum, you know, diversify, diversify, and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and <laughs> wonders why when there's a pullback, they're in trouble. Diversity means asset class diversity as well, you know, some real estate, um, some precious metals. These are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially, and, and, and we know that they happen. They happen continuously, and they recur. So that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity.
1: So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How how does that make sense for people?
3: You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment as a dollar gets weaker gold gets stronger and we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold just like cars cost more now right um anytime you have inflation the item that you're buying costs more the difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue it's considered a alternative currency basically when you say that i don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards, or I don't have complete faith in, in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation. This is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested, and it's based in dollars that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, Oh, it's transitory. Oh no, maybe I was wrong. Um, Maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that Mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold. And this is why, it offers that protection.
1: It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold?
3: Right. And, and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. OK, so there's lots of options uh, in the IRA. It's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account.
1: That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and a- ask what I think might be coming to people's minds if the experts in washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation then they're going to look at you and say hey charles why should i trust what you're telling me and why legacy precious metals is the place to go i'm I'm asking this in an honest way because i because i i know you want to be transparent about this stuff so how would you answer that
3: you know really is is i'm not a politician um (laughs) <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do, right? I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that It's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30-plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker, and everyone had stocks, and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction – you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We've gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's, we see that. We see it what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is, is why people should you know, give us a call, chat with us, and see if it makes sense for them.
1: Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008, and I know a lot of people Mm do. And, you know, that was a crash, and there have been other crashes. But why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen? I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens?
3: It's, It's the safe place right when when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety, mm-hmm. so l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent, yeah, we can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use eight percent. that means everything costs you eight percent more this year than it did last year, and we know it's going to go higher because the fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right, to fight inflation, but we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year, that in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands, They're they're juggling an economy and the stock market, and it was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself, and this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts, and it was a very devastating time. People would call, and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work they're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value and that's devastating you know but this is where those who were involved in gold they saw gold almost double in price it offset the losses
1: it offset the losses so again Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one no. place that not even gold but Diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver. And you can contact them as well legacypminvestments.com, legacypminvestments.com. I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it. Just talk to them. I mean, just ask them, see what your situation can, can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers. Uh, Charles, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. It's been very educational.
3: My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you